Okay. So we should be good to go now, yeah? All right. Yeah, did you find out to pin yourself? No. Uh, do, you, do you have like the kind of row row of participants at the top, like yeah. with the small pictures? So if you go to the three dots there, yeah, you can. Uh, I think you can spotlight for everyone. It says or something. No, I mean when I click on the more, it says I can rename or I can add profile picture. That's it. Also on the, like if you click on the people's kind of video or. Uh, like not on the list of participants. You can double click yourself. Uh huh. But is that if is it that for everyone? Oh, okay, for everyone. Yeah. Okay, double click yourself on the picture. On the picture? Oh, it's there. I see it. Got it. <laughs> Simple. Okay. Simple when you know. And if you don't know, you're like, what? Okay. All right. So. Thanks for bearing with us through all that technical stuff and we'll get going. Om Jnanati Nirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurve Namaha Siddhantut Palasada Nityarasikam Hansam Vilasatmakam Audaryakya Sudhama Sevakadhanam Vishramba Bhakti Pradam Yatya yukti bijakshanam twagabido vaisishta shaktya sada Vandeham tripurarin namakayatin Shibakti bedantinam Vairagya vidya nijabhakti yoga Shikshartha meka purusha purana Shri Krishna chaitanya sharira dhari Kripam buddhiryasamaham prapadye he Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandho Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Radhe Vrindavaneshuri Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vancha Kalpataru Pyascha Kripa Sindhu Pyayevacha Patitanam Pavanibhu, Aishnabibhu, Namo Namaha. Okay, well, welcome back, everybody. Oh, I'm hearing you now. Okay. So, last week we heard a little bit about Madhavendra Puri. We basically went Oh, I went through a synopsis or of the 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 Leela uh, involving him and how he found the Gopal deity and set up his worship and all that, and then he traveled at Go, at Gopal's uh, request to go get him sandalwood and whatnot. And so, because the deity is so central to this story of Madhavendra Puri. And this, in this installment, I want to go into um, the tattva of the deity itself. What is the Archavigraha? What is Sri Murti? And so, in order to understand what the Murti is, we need to know a little bit about Bhagavat tattva. What is Bhagavan? <laughs> so, um, 
Bhagavan has, well, first of all, I should mention that most of what I'm drawing from here right now today is coming from uh, Jaiva Dharma chapter 11. So Bhaktivinoda gives a really nice explanation of the, the deity there. And so, um, the, and he mentioned six qualities of Bhagavan in that chapter, which I'm sure we're pretty, most of us are familiar with the the six qualities that Bhagavan is said to possess is wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. And Bhaktivinoda gives it, he talks about it in a slightly different way, the, the Bhagavan's six main characteristics. So I wanted to go over those because they're interesting how he talks about it. So the first one, of course, is Bhagavan possesses Aishwarya, which is in the context of Bhaktivinoda's discussion in that chapter, he refers to that as Bhagavan possessing greatness and minuteness. So he's bigger than the biggest, smaller than the smallest. I'm sure we've heard that kind of idea before. And then most um, relevant to our discussion today is he is Sarva Shakti Matta. He possesses all Shakti, all different types of Shaktis. And in particular, Bhaktivinoda uh, lays emphasis on his Achintya Shakti and then, which we'll come back around to. And then his third quality is Mangalamai. He's all auspicious, all opulent. His fourth quality is Saundarya. He's the most beautiful. His fifth quality is Asheshakyan. He possesses unlimited knowledge. And Bhaktivinoda mentions how this means he's not influenced by the material world at all. And then the sixth quality is Nirlepa, he's unattached, and he's Svatantra, he's independent. So, of those, as I mentioned, most relevant now is his Bhagavan's, uh, his quality of possessing unlimited Shaktis, and by that, um, in, in particular, his Achintya Shakti, he does the impossible. <laughs> So God can do that which is impossible. Like I, I heard at some point, uh, people have, I guess, in the in the arguments between atheists and theists, uh, the, the atheist will sometimes make the argument, well, can God create a stone that he can't lift? <laughs> and it's like, yes, he could, but then he'd lift it <laughs> through his chintya shakti. And so, Bhaktivinoda mentions that it is through this Shakti that Bhagavan simultaneously possesses form and he is formless. And of course, Achyanta Shakti is that very useful repository where we place all of those things that the, that the material mind cannot grasp, the, these paradoxes that cannot exist logically at the same time, and yet they do take place especially when you're talking about God, he's, he's full of contradictions and yet he harmonizes them at the same time. So he has a form, but he doesn't have a form. He's formless. And so in this Bhagavan, in the, in the form of Bhagavan, of course, he does have a form he, that he is, he is his form. And so Bhaktivinoda's uh, probably his, one of his major emphases is emphases in this chapter, and, and you'll find this throughout his writing, 
all, all in general, um, is his emphasis on Adhikar. And Adhikar is, of course, the one's eligibility or one's uh, standing in bhakti. And it is through Adhikar that we can engage in the practices at a, a particular level. And so with regard to the, well, actually I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so what is the deity um, and how does the deity manifest in the world? Bhakti note gives a one paragraph. It's a beautiful explanation of this. It's um, he says that when the Mahajans go within in Samadhi in their meditation, the form of Bhagavan is revealed to them within their pure hearts within the heart that is purified by bhakti and then when the devotee's heart is manifest in the world that is the deity when in other words the form that is realized within is reflected bhakti uses this term reflected when that form is reflected into the world that is sri murti and uh so in the same way that for example the dham can reveal itself or be hidden like in mayapur when the floods hide or reveal different places are revealed and then they're flooded and they're they're lost to time and whatnot the deity also can manifest externally or not be unmanifest externally or in the case of gopal deity hidden in the bushes and so in a sense kind of unmanifest or lost to humanity at that time and then he can make himself reveal himself again uh, but interestingly within the heart of the devotee this doesn't happen that the form of krishna once it's manifest within the heart of a mahajan is steady it doesn't come and go like that because it's not in that internal form is not subject to the vicissitudes of the material nature so that's a it's a again it, it comes down to adhikar and bhakti you know it makes this point that um everything depends upon the how does he say it Everything depends on the quality of faith in the worshiper's heart. So if you're worshiping the deity or in order, the perception of the deity is how the deity will be perceived by the devotee will be completely dependent upon one's adhikar. And subsequently then how the deity manifests to that person will be radically different. So in the same room of devotees who are taking darshan of a deity, they're going to have radically different experiences of that deity, depending on their adhikar. And so the kanishta adhikari, the, the devotee who is just in the beginning stages, who is still uh, more under the thrall of the material nature than under the influence of the sarup shakti, they see the deity as material. And even if that devotee meditates on the deity within their mind, which is not that easy to do at that stage, even 
but even if they do so that is still material because it's it's the the form of uh it's not the form there is still within the mind and the mind is composed of matter and so there's in a sense bhaktivinoda makes the point there's there's really no difference between meditating on the form in the mind and meditating on the material form the external form and interestingly he's, he mentions that is why it is beneficial to worship the deity because it's easier it just it gives you something to meditate directly on um to interact with form of service and dress and all that so that's uh an interesting point because one might think well if i'm if i'm just thinking of the deity that's a higher manifestation and and I guess in a sense you could say it kind of is because you don't need to be in in front of a deity to be doing worship. You can be worshiping in your mind. But and generally speaking, it is it is talked about that manasi puja or worship in the mind is of a higher quality. But really, that again, it depends on the person doing it. So uh, for the so for the kanishta adhikari, once they're purified, then they will start to see the spiritual nature of the deity that will start to become more revealed to them to the point where then when they become a Madhyamadikari, then the Madhyamadikari's faith is such that they perceive the deity as possessing perception, that the deity is aware, and they have faith that their prayers are being heard by the deity and that their mood of service is being accepted by the deity. So that's a big step up from the Kanishta Adhikari, as one can imagine. Um, I mean, there's just a, a massive difference between the two, and you can't even, it's hard to describe the difference, but I mean, if you're worshiping the deity as a, as a beginner, as a neophyte, and you're basically don't have any feeling for it. You've been told by the devotees and by the guru that this is Krishna and therefore you should respect him and bow down and do all these formalities. The worship is more of a formal nature at that stage. And for the, for the Madhyamadikari who's starting to have a relationship with the deity, both internally and externally, then that's a completely different quality there that they're they're praying to the deity and they're confident and they're and they're they're confident that the deity is hearing their prayers for example and they're and they're getting confirmation from the other side that that is so they may get some some there's a uh, there's a feeling that one one gets that yeah he heard me and or you know you make an offering and um you may may make a an offering in the temple, for example, or or using all the formalities, the mantras and whatnot, and it can be completely sterile and devoid of feeling. And conversely, one can make a very simple offering with the spirit of it, the heart of it being, please accept this. I just want to please you. And that is, and, and you feel that huh, he accepts that more readily than all the mantras and the bell ringing. 
So bhakti is a very subtle thing and um, not easy to grasp, um, not easy to understand, not easy to recognize when you see it happening in others. You, you don't know what their internal experience is unless you have some, uh, or as Guru Maharaj likes to say, it takes one to know one. So if, uh, if you see another person um, getting something from their practice or from their worship of the deity in this case, then it, you have to understand, in order to understand where they're at, you kind of have to have a similar experience. So um, that's a fascinating point that I meditate on frequently. It's just like the, uh, the levels of Adhikar and how, the, how it affects our perception. And Bhaktivinoda, of course, talks about the third level of Adhikar, the Uttam Bhakta, who perceives Krishna directly in the deity, sees that the deity is fully conscious, fully chinmai, fully spiritual, and directly Hari, he's there. He's, he's, there's no difference. And at the highest level, that is the case, that, that, that um, in the, in the deepest sense, that is the case. Krishna and his deity form, they are the same. And that brings us to the point of that the deity is one. In other words, there may be deities all over the world, and yet they're one. And so to return to the narrative of Madhavendra Puri, he, um, we heard that he established the worship of Sri Gopal at Govardhan. And then when he was in, he had gone to Jagannath Puri to get the sandalwood, brings it all the way back or partway back to Vrindavan, to Remuna again. And while he was at the Gopinath temple, Gopal appeared to him in a dream and told him, if you grind the sandalwood and offer it to Gopinath, I will accept it. And that, that, that service will, uh, I will be benefited or I will be served by that. And so it's a really nice point because in the beginning, there's a tendency to think, well, um, only this deity is right here is accepting this worship and whatnot. And, but we're all worshiping the same person just through different manifestations in the same way that, uh, so Krishna can manifest in, unlimited forms like he does in Dwaraka, for example, or in the Ras Lila, when he's got all these unlimited forms that are the same. It's not exactly the same in terms of the deity, but it's a similar idea that he can manifest in these infinite forms to receive worship locally from the different devotees, wherever they happen to be. Um, and then, so of course, as our adhikar increases and our realization increases, and we get some mercy from the other side, we start to understand that all that worship is going to a single center. There is only one center. If indeed God is real, which we believe he is, then there's only one. And one God means that however he receives the worship, it's all going to the single to a single place. To put it in a crude way, um, with words. <laughs> Um, kind of like the verse in the Bhagavatam that 
mentions how if we pour the water on the root of the tree, then the tree will be nourished rather than if we try to, it's a slightly different point, but the point being that wherever the leaves, in this case, and to analogize it this way, if, if, the, if the deities all over the world are analogized to be like the leaves on the tree, then, and then the, the trunk is, no, that, that doesn't work, sorry. <laughs> Anyhow, you get the idea that Krishna is one, God is one, and he can receive worship in all these different forms all at the same time which is a pretty good deal for him because, you know, you've got different time zones and he's getting food offerings basically 24 hours a day, which is pretty cool in my opinion. You know, he likes to eat, so <laughs> he can eat 24 hours a day if he wants to. So one deity's on one side of the world asleep and the other deity's on the other side of the world awake and receiving offerings, not a bad deal. And so deity worship in general, um, I just wanted to mention how it's it's uh, it's one of the five uh, limbs of bhakti that Rupa Goswami mentions in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu in in his section on sadhana bhakti, and it's mentioned within the list of the in the beginning of the list, and then he reiterates it at the, the last five qualities. He goes over them again, and we find these also in the Chaitanya Charitamrita and. So, of course, these are Sadhu Sangha, Nam Kirtan, Bhagavat Shravan, Maturavas, and our topic today, Sri Murti Shraddhaya Sevan. So, worshiping Sri Murti with faith. So, which I always found kind of curious that they, they had to put worshiping the Murti with faith in, or that that's part of that statement, uh, part of that limb, because it's like, well, why would you bother worshiping the Murti? If you didn't have faith, but there it is. Um, so these five things are said to be very, very powerful, and so you pretty much never hear of. Uh, very rarely do you hear of stories of devotees who are not involved somehow with a deity, like all these stories in the Chaitanya Charitamrita or devotees. As Bhakti you know, it says, worship of the deity is extremely auspicious for uh, devotees who have not not yet realized the 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 spiritual nature of the deity, or who are they haven't realized the the, the spiritual nature of the atma. Uh, they're still more or less uh, they're more in the in the world than on the other side, and so for them worship of the deities is very powerful and very purifying. And then Bhaktivinoda makes the point that worship of the deity for those who have realized that is supremely auspicious. Um, so you can imagine what it's like to be directly seeing Krishna when you approach the altar and um, you're, you're interacting with God directly at that point that yeah, that would be auspicious indeed. Uh, you know, it's no longer an aspirational thing that please purify me so that I can worship you in a deeper way. It's like you are, your services, you're directly serving Krishna in his form as the deity. 
So exciting things to look forward to for those of us who have not uh, attained that yet. And an interesting point is that, uh, so Sri Gopal, Madhavendrapuri's deity, or the deity who I should say revealed himself to Madhavendrapuri in Vrindavan. So he manifested himself, he revealed himself in his Archavigraha so that to give a center to which Madhavendrapuri could then grace the world with service to Krishna. So Madhavendrapuri, he had already had a connection with Krishna, but the people around him, the people in the villages or whatnot, they didn't necessarily. They had faith in Krishna. I mean, they're living in the Braj area. Everybody's got faith in Krishna pretty much. But in order to serve him, we need a center. And that's what the, de the deity is offering that uh, center that we can engage the senses as we hear, as we know, sadhana bhakti is an engagement of the senses in Krishna's service. And then, of course, bhava bhakti is serving Krishna internally in a, in a, in a, spiritual form or the beginnings of that anyway. So if you don't have that internal connection or, or love like Madhavendrapuri, then how do you connect with Bhagavan? That's what the deity is. So Gopal set himself up on the hill, <clears throat> excuse me. Gopal sets himself on top of the hill and, and then everybody from miles around comes and worships him. And so um, as we'll hear, once we get starting uh, next time, we'll start getting into the qualities. And one of the qualities of the devotee is that he's, he or she is constantly engaged in uh, welfare work for the benefit of other jivas. And so Madhavendrapuri's service to Gopal then extended this opportunity for serving Krishna to all these people who otherwise had no connection with him, at least nowhere near in such a deep way. So it's the will of Bhagavan is manifest in the world through the devotees. There's no other way unless he appears directly, which he obviously doesn't do very often, but his will is manifest in the world continuously. It's like, we shouldn't think that, well, if Krishna is, now that his pastimes have gone unmanifest, they've gone aprakat, there's no more prakat lila happening at this time, then we can't access Krishna. That's not the case at all. His will is continuously manifest and it's being done through people who have him within their hearts. This is a very subtle thing, not easy to understand. Again, unless, like I said, you have some of that yourself, then you can start to perceive it. Um, it is said in the Christian tradition that the Lord moves in mysterious ways. And the closer we start to come to him, the more we realize that's the case. You can start to see these, these things playing out in these very subtle ways. And um, so by Krishna wanted to accept worship through Madhavendrapuri. And by doing so, Madhavendrapuri engaged hundreds and hundreds of people in this worship. And what a beautiful thing. And so that's what the Vaishnava does. Is the Vaishnava is, of course, 
mm, absorbed in his or her service to Krishna all the time. And yet out of their compassion, they're seeking to bring others in contact with that flow of service toward the, the ultimate center somehow. And, and the how is through the deity. And what a, what a practical thing it is to have a deity worship that you can approach I mean, even without knowing anything about Krishna, um, there's many stories of this, of people going to temples and have no idea what Krishna is or, or any of that. And going before the deity and just, just the feeling of, wow, he's really beautiful. Imagine, you know, going to, a, not knowing anything about Krishna and going into a temple and seeing the deities dressed there and just, what an amazing thing that would be. First of all, and I've seen this is sometimes people go before the deity and they just stand there and they sort of blink. They don't, they, they can't make sense of it. They don't even know what they're looking at. It makes no, it doesn't register to them. They've never experienced anything like it in their lives. And it, they're just, you can see like they're the wheels in their mind kind of going, um, what am I looking at? What am I seeing here? That's, interesting to, to see how that changes and then they, they get a, a sense of appreciation and other people can go for the deity and like like just that simple that simple sense of oh he's so beautiful um you can imagine how their their devotional life has begun you know even if they haven't heard any philosophy they don't know what the deity is or anything just they're they're come in contact with a, a form of krishna in a very concrete way, their senses are perceiving this this form, and it it is well, it's begun the death of their material life, even though they may not know it at the time. That that would be in the realm of agyata sukriti, that they're they're serving a deity or they're serving Krishna in some very indirect way, and they don't really know, they don't have any real knowledge of what's going on, or it's not necessarily conscious and yet they're they're getting a bhakti sangskar from that and then of course once they do know a bit about krishna and what the deity is and then they start to serve the deity consciously then of course that moves into the realm of gyata sukriti or uh, and then it culminates in shraddha faith that if i worship this deity with faith <laughs> i guess that gets us back to that shri murti shraddha seva uh, worship this form with faith then ultimately all of my aspirations in life can be fulfilled all the things that i've been searching for for lifetimes that i've never been satisfied by can be realized by giving my my energy to this center so like here in in my little my little cabin i've got a govardhan sheila he's quite small but he's the center of the universe you know <laughs> i'm living in his house so that's a, another aspect of the deity is that if you bring a deity into your house in the case of a householder or someone who's not living in a temple where there's a temple deity well the minute krishna comes into your house it's not your house anymore i mean it never really is of course 
everything. I mean, that's the tattva, but most people don't know that. And so they think it's their house. And so therefore they suffer for that attitude because that attitude affects everything they do and their entire experience of life. But once you have a deity in your house and you know it's not your house, it's Krishna's house, and you're just kind of, he's letting you live there and serve him, then it becomes very sweet. It, it's, uh, it's, it's not like, uh, some people, uh, I guess you could say, um, reject or push back against the idea of surrender because they think that, well, because in, the, in our material experience, then to surrender is to be weak and to be, um, to be subservient is a bad thing in the material world. But with Krishna, with Bhagavan, with the deity, then subservience is the best thing, <laughs> the best thing in the world. And so when you've got a deity in your house and you know that he's the master and you're his servant, then everything's great. You, you know, then it's like, it, it changes everything. You go out shopping for groceries and you're thinking, I'm gonna bring something back for Giriraj, so. Or I've got to go, I'm going to, you see a flower out on a walk and oh, I want to bring that back to my deity. <laughs> so this deity is until we have, uh, until we have the, the internal realization that Krishna is everywhere. It's like, we may know that intellectually I and mean, I do, but am I actually seeing Krishna everywhere? No, not all the time. I mean, sometimes you get glimpses, but for the Uttamadikari who's actually seeing Krishna everywhere, that's one thing. But for those of us who aren't on that stage, then having a deity in your life somewhere, somehow, whether it's at the temple or in your home, that gives you, again, it gives you a center to direct your devotional thoughts and feelings and act and sensual activity toward, which, of course, this is all uh, aspects of sadhana bhakti, of of uh, bhajana kriya, the activities, the kriya of bhajan, and by which, of course, the heart is purified and we begin to uh, enter into that, that flow um, toward the, the center. Um, so, Madhavendra Puri, his experience of the deity, of course, was, as Bhaktivinoda points out, he was clearly seeing Krishna directly there, which is why when the, when the deity appeared to him, either in a dream or when he goes before the deity and the deity speaks to him or whatever it is, he's, he's perceiving that on a much higher level than I would for sure. <laughs> Yeah, or he's a Mahajan. He's one of the Mahajans that, that uh, Bhaktivinoda is talking about. And that he can sit in Samadhi, as we heard in, in the, the narration of his, uh, of his pastimes, where he's just, he went on Govardhan Parikram and then he sat under a tree and he's meditating all night. And it's like, you know, sleeps at the end of the night like the Goswamis for a couple of hours at most, you know, stays up all night, you know. And so like, uh, did, for example, did Sanatana Goswami need a deity? 
you know, he's living in, in, on the banks of the Jamuna and he's got a deity and, and the, the whole story with the, the, the deity and the, the barge of salt and whatnot. It's like, did, did he need a deity? No, he could have just sat and chanted and meditated on the form of Krishna within. But he kept a deity nonetheless, which gave, I guess, the people around him something to something to uh, relate to in terms of his worship of Krishna. Um, it's very interesting that, you know, people, uh, you know, like the Goswamis or, or people who don't necessarily need a deity, in other words, that their, their adhikar is enough, is, is great enough that they can, that they can meditate on Krishna or within their, they're seeing, they're, they're realizing the form of Krishna within the name. So they're, they can chant japa and meditate on the form and the qualities and the lila of Bhagavan. And yet they have a deity anyway. Interesting. You know, I could say, or I could think, well, if, if they're just a bhajananandi and, um, you know, in one sense, there's no necessity of a deity. But again, it gives you, uh, as Bhaktivinoda mentions, it's, it's still very, very auspicious and to worship a deity, even if you've got this realization where you don't need a deity. And then for those who don't have that realization, again, then, then that having a deity is not just auspicious, but Bhaktivinoda makes the point that it's essential. He said, there's no, there's no way for the conditioned jivas to, to uh, be benefited other than through deity worship. He makes this point strongly. Um, and this of course is, is uh, in the context of his, uh, the discussion in the Jaya Dharma where the Babaji's are discussing with some Muslims who have come to their uh, Chaitanya Bhagavat recitation. And so um, the, the, uh, the discussion there centers in the beginning around formlessness and, and because the Muslims are are uh, troubled by the idea that Hindus are worshiping this form of God, which they consider to be idolatry, which is why Bhaktivinoda titles that chapter Nitya Dharma and idolatry. And so he makes the difference between worshiping an idol, some form that's made up in the mind versus a deity. And he makes that distinction of how the deity manifests in the world. So, uh, The form, it's, it's impossible to meditate on something that is formless. And this is, I think, one of the problems of, of, of Yanmarg and why they, why they do uh, deity worship and whatnot, because you can't, how are you going to meditate on the formless? There's nothing, you know, there's nothing for the mind to grasp and there's nothing to focus on. You can think you're meditating on the formless, but inevitably, uh, before I was a devotee and I wanted, I was, uh, I was a, a monist. Inevitably, you find yourself meditating on light or something like that. And so it's still in terms of material qualities or material things that we have experience of, that you're never really meditating on the formless. So then uh, Bhaktivinoda, again, makes this point that there's that's not going to be beneficial for people and whose adhikar is, spiritual adhikar is low. We have no, no realization yet 
or very little realization, that's not going to be good for them. They're not going to benefit. They're not going to make any progress that way. And so the deity is a very merciful manifestation. There's hundreds and hundreds of stories of devotees interacting with deities and these miraculous things that happen. Um, some of which I've heard that are really quite far out there, like uh, in particular, I'm thinking of the deity in um, the Narsinga, Ugra Narsinga in, in the Mayapur Iskan temple. I've heard stories about him that devotees have interacted with him in certain ways, and, and he's responded in in, uh, in unexpected and wonderful ways. And, and so, depending on one's faith, then Krishna will he will reciprocate with that. Uh, so, with that, I wanted to leave some room for some questions if there are any or any comments on the nature of the deity. I see a question in the chat, but unfortunately I don't read Spanish. Okay. Okay. Mm. Mm, thank you for the question. There's a couple of questions there. So the first is, that is the manifestation of the deity 
an example of satya sankalpa. And satya sankalpa means that whatever the devotee desires, or it's a quality of Krishna as well, obviously, um, whatever the Krishna or the devotee desires becomes manifest immediately without their effort, I guess you could say. Um, I mean, I guess, I, I suppose you could look at it like that. There's no harm. I mean, uh, although when the deity manifests within the heart of the, the purified heart of the devotee, um, that's grace from Bhagavan. Bhagavan is manifesting himself in that devotee's heart. And then, so is there a conscious effort on the part of the devotee to think, well, I want to now manifest this form to the world? I mean, I guess it could be that case, that could be possible. And, or is it just something they do unconsciously? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Mahajan, so <laughs> I'm not exactly sure how that works like that. But um, I, yeah, I don't see any problem thinking of it in terms of there is such a sankalpa nature. In other words, if they want, if they want to manifest the form of Krishna in the world, then sure. Uh, as to your other question, um, so Madangopal's altar, he has a number of deities there. <clears throat> he had Gornatai. He's got Kanuram, which were, which were uh, Karnamrita Prabhu's Govardhan Shilas that he worshipped for a number of years before his passing. He also had a Govardhan Shila that I'm not sure where he got, but um, he's had for quite a number of years. He has the brass mortis that Guru Maharaj gave him. He's got the, the, um, and he's got the, uh, the, the marble, I think, yeah, I think he's got marble uh, Krishna Balaram deities that Guru Maharaj gave him. So that's a lot of deities on one altar. But that is kind of the point, is that all these deities, so, so your question is, one's Ishta Devata should be fixed, and there's only one Ishta Devata. And so how is having all these different deities having a fixed Ishta Devata, it seems to be contradictory to that idea. If I understand your question correctly, that's kind of what you're asking. Again, the deity is one. So I know in modern Gopal's case, as one doesn't take a genius to figure out that his Ishta Devata is Krishna Balaram. So Krishna Balaram have chosen to manifest, they've, they've braced themselves in his life in these different ways, as the brass deities, as the Govardhan Shilas, as the marble deities, and as Gornatai. Gornatai, there's no difference between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Krishna. There's no difference between Nityananda Ram and uh, Balaram. So all these different forms are just they're, just, they're the same. There's no difference in them. So if you worship, worship a Govardhan Shila of Krishna Balaram, you're worshiping Krishna Balaram. If you worship a, a brass murti of him or a marble murti, it's all the same. In other words, the the feeling that is being cultivated by the devotee is sakuras, right? So um, that is the ishta devata. The ishta devata is it cannot be separated from 
the rati, the, the, the spiritual flavor that one is cultivating. So the Ishtadevata, that's kind of what the Ishtadevata means. In other words, the, uh, Guru Maharaj has made this point many times that the form that God appears in corresponds to the love within the heart of the devotees that he's manifesting for. So um, Krishna and Balaram are the deity of Sakyaras. <laughs> uh, and Gornitai, they can be worshipped by either those cultivating Madhuras or Sakyaras, but uh, at the higher levels, then they will be specifically thought of as Krishna Balaram, right? Because that's who they are. It's like, um, what is that song by Narottam where he's, he mentions that Satchi Sutta Hoyalose Krishna manifests as in Gorlila as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Balaram Hoyaloni Thai. Balaram appeared as Nityananda. So there's no difference there. So um, on, an, on an altar like that, where you've got a number of deities, um, you can, you know, it would depend on your mood at the particular time. If you say you were sitting before them and chanting Japa, um, and uh, you, you might want to meditate on the, the Govardhan Shilas one day, and, or, you know, meditate on the the other mortis or the beauty of bhakti is that the mind can move from one thing and yet be still in the sense that you're worshiping on Krishna, the center. And so your mind isn't moving and yet it's moving. Again, we get to those, that paradox. So the Ishtadevata there, this is, it's only one Ishtadevata. It's, that's a Sakyaras altar in that example. And that's like, so, that corresponds or that that those forms are there to assist Madan in his cultivation of that sakyaras that's what's going on there um so i hope i've answered your question good yeah, I mean, just to add, just the, the overriding point is that you, you mentioned Ishtadevata, and it's a really nice term. So it's like the Ishtadevata is one's worshipable deity. So that can't be separated from the, the bhav or the feeling within the heart of the devotee. They're, they're, those two go together. So if, for example, um, I know in Vrindavan, uh, uh, at Radha Gokulananda temple, there's a number of deities of Krishna there on the altar, you know, and they're all, um, that's a Madhuryaras altar. They're all, it's Radha Krishna, or it's, and so it's like, but the Ishtadevata there is, 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 um, it's a Madhuryaras altar, it's Madhuryaras. So for someone who's cultivating that, then they could have, you know, a bunch of different deities of, Radha Krishna in different forms, and but the Ishtadevata is still only one. It's the same. Any other questions? Sarada has her hand up. I don't know if it means she has a question. Uh, okay. 
Sharda. Uh-huh. I see you're well, you're you're not muted. I can't I'm not hearing you. Sharda, did you put English and uh, mute the original audio? No, still not hearing you. <laughs> type it. You can type it in the chat. So Sharda says, I have a 200-year-old painting by the family over many generations. Do you have any comments about the special qualities of such a painting? Um, I would imagine that over time, possibly such a painting could be imbued with some of the bob that people have worshipped it with or considered, you know, they're, they're sitting there meditating on that and maybe it uh, the pictures are a bit different because they're, um, I would think they're even more subject to the Adi car phenomenon in that uh, it's one thing if you've got a deity and he's in three dimensions and you can interact more so with your senses when the, the picture's two dimensions and you're really much more um, reliant upon your level of knowledge and understanding and depth of realization to draw anything from that picture. Um, so uh, a picture that's been worshiped for 200 generations, that's, wow. Now, yeah, now whether or not that, again, I guess it really comes back to the individual adhikar of the person, what they're going to see when they look at that painting, you know? Um, in other words, uh, let's say, you could go to Vrindavan, go to um, Radharaman Mandir, and that deity has been worshipped for many generations. But what you're going to see is going to depend on your Adhikar. So whether or not, in, in the case of the deity, of course, in, in Radharaman, of course, is a, a self-manifest deity. So he's a bit special. Um, you know, what was the consciousness of the person who painted the picture? Um, these things might all come into play, but in a sense, I guess it doesn't matter because if you've got a if you've got someone with high adhikar, they can look at a painting and they can enter into the lila, like Prabhupada talked about 
the pictures of Krishna Lila being windows into the spiritual world. So someone of high adhikar doesn't matter. Whereas, you know, someone who doesn't, oh, they look at it, it's a nice picture. Maybe they're going to look at it and critique the style or they're going to think of it in more material terms, you know, and again, so it's, it's more a matter of adhikar, what you're going to perceive and what you're going to get out of it. Um, so I'm not sure that, I mean, I don't really know, but I'm not really sure that because it's a 200 year old painting that it's got any qualities that are um, inherent in it that are, that differentiate it from any other painting. Um, you know, I guess really the point is whether or not it e evokes some sort of feeling within the, the perceiver, the, the viewer of the painting. And if it does, great. You know, and that's really, again, that's going to depend on who's looking. Okay, well, it looks like we're pretty much out of time. Um, unless anyone's got another, right, we, we did start a little bit late because we had the technical issues in the beginning. So if anyone's got any more questions, I will be happy to answer that. If not, then we'll call it a wrap. Well, I don't see any other hands up, so it looks like we're pretty well done. So I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to a little bit of kata about Sri Morti, and I um, hope you'll tune in next time when we actually start to get into the qualities, and um, it should be interesting. So until next time. Hare Krishna. Prabhu ki jai. Hari bol Vaishnav Gana ki jai.